We're going to go to the scriptures to Matthew's gospel. Let's just read from Matthew about this whole season about the Lord Jesus coming into our world and rescuing us from all of the uh, meaninglessness and the pain and the turmoil, all those things. We need to recognize something that God spoke way back in Genesis chapter 3, that there's a seed of the woman, a human being, but one endowed with supernatural power to crush the head of the serpent, that's the devil. So way back in paradise, or what used to be paradise, before Adam and Eve fell, God said, I'm going to send somebody to take care of the core issue of the world's problems, which is there's a evil force that gets into people to make them do things that are not good. God says, I'm going to get to the heart of it, but it took about 4,000 years for that to actually happen. So when Adam and Eve received that promise, they had to believe it. And after Adam and Eve, Abel, who was righteous, had to believe it. And Enoch had to believe it. Noah had to believe it. Methuselah, all of those people had to believe it. So century after century after century. Can you imagine that? Uh, there's, a, there's a feeling of dread. My world is full of darkness. And God is saying that he's going to get me out of this darkness. But I don't know exactly when it's going to happen. But I know that it's going to happen. That's a very key thing for us to remember as we go through our lives. God says, I have, I've given you a promise that I'm going to do something great with you. How many of you believe that God has something great for you? Actually to use you. It's much easier to believe that, you know, God is going to do something great in the world. He's going to change the world events. But sometimes it's hard for us to think about our personal circumstances. God has given me promises for my life because he cares. I matter to him. I make up part of his kingdom. What a shift. You know, we can go through life and hear about the good news, about Christmas and all that God has promised, and still be kind of detached. Feeling that we are not really worth God doing something great with. And when we understand that that's a lie from the devil, that God actually wants to do something great in my life. No matter where we've been, how much we've tried and failed, just like you look at the human race, even when they became a nation after Abraham had uh, Jacob and after Jacob, 12 tribes, a whole nation formed. The promise still went through. So in Matthew 1, you see the genealogy and you see how God faithfully kept that promise in providing a human ancestral line in which to bring that to pass at an appointed time, God's time. So they had oppression with Egypt, then they had oppression with the surrounding nations, they had internal civil war, turmoil, right? Not unlike our world. We have problems outside in the world and in our own world. And God says, I'm watching everything. And I am promising you that I will make everything well. That's a big promise. Especially when you feel I have so many things happening. But these patriarchs were known for something. 
Not all of them, but those who chose to believe. They were known for faith. No matter how dark it became, look at uh, Amos, look at Jeremiah, look at Isaiah, look at uh, Zephaniah, Zechariah. All of these prophets, even though they had to be like a news reporter, right? To say, this is the current events. It's really bad. But they always have this thread going even through the most dismal of prophecies, darkest prophecies. God's Savior is coming. He's coming. So those who held on to it, the Bible says they died in faith, even though they didn't see that particular grand promise come to play. And God had favor toward his people. Today, we see this birth of Jesus Christ. Let's go to verse, uh, thir- uh, verse 18. Matthew 1, verse 18. After the genealogy, which is important, but I think we're going to get to this right now. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was in this way, or in this, on this wise. I'm going to switch to the other translation. It says this, after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together... She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just, meaning a righteous man, a merciful man, a kind man. All those are involved in being just. It's not just a stern kind of uh, stoical meeting out of, you know, what's right and wrong. He is a compassionate man. He cared about his wife and her reputation. People are scared just like me. Who? Those to whom the word came. During that period, somebody has to step up and say, but one thing I can never doubt is his love. Maybe I'm not at the point of being able to say that he is coming and he's going to change everything. Maybe I'm in that cocoon period. But there was a Mary Magdalene. The love that she felt from Jesus was so strong, it was stronger than death. And that drove her to go to the tomb. That took faith. It wasn't the full faith like her turning and telling the men and the other women, look, he said it, he's going to come back, even though it looks like there's no sign, I know he's coming. She wasn't at that point. But she was still better than the others because she... Remember the love. That's a very important thing to remember. Even when you think that I don't understand anything, all I see is darkness and chaos and opposition. One thing I know is love. I remember his love. David talked about the love of a real friend. He said, when we were together, when we communed with one another, when we went together to the house of God, when we celebrated together. He talks about that in the Psalms. Now that's human love. What about the divine love? So as we look at the prophecy about the Christ child, God coming in flesh, related this way, the prophets had to believe for a long time, many times with no movement at all. But God designed it that way. Because 
When will God ever know that we really trust Him? It's going to be when everything that the devil has to throw at us to try to stop us from believing is unleashed. Just like I said uh, some time ago about love and faith, until we have some forces coming against it, we really don't know if it exists. It's invisible. Like James says, now show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith with my works. So just like faith works, love works. Love drove Mary Magdalene to go because she remembered that love is divine love and I'm going to go with that love even though I don't understand. That's a very, very powerful thing to remember in our lives. And in my life and in many others' lives, I know the greatest motivating factor for me to trust God is His love. Without His love, the promises, the mighty acts, it's still questionable in the sense, not that it didn't happen, but does he care for me? Or is he just doing things to fulfill a calendar? You know what we see in Jesus Christ? God's personal love at the level that the world never has seen before. He comes right into our situation. So this prophecy about Emmanuel from Isaiah, Matthew remembered it by the Holy Spirit. They went through an incubation period and it got even darker. Not even one word for 400 years. Think about your life, especially during Christmas. The things that God has promised or prophesied over your life. The dreams that not you have dreamed, but he has dreamed and shared with you. There's a difference. Many times our dreams appear to be good. But when we actually present it before God, we see his dream for us far surpasses anything we could have imagined. It's way beyond. And the sooner we recognize that, we'll be able to go to him humbly and say, Lord, you know what I really want to know? is not how to fulfill my dreams. I want to know how you're going to fulfill yours in my, hallelujah, in my life. And that really transcends everything that we've ever experienced. So here he comes. And who got to know about this Christ child? The mom and dad, for sure. The angel knew about it. He's coming from heaven. The shepherds knew about it. Simon and Anna, they knew about it in the temple. Only a select group really knew about it initially. It's not that God doesn't want to share it with everybody, but it's because people were not really thinking along the lines of God's prophecies. People were like this. We're not in a good spot. We have Rome over here. We're getting taxed. We're being harassed. And it seems like after Herod the Great, with the extension of the temple before the Lord was born, you had his four sons, and they spread out over Judea, Perea, Idumea, and all of these regions we may call Palestine. And you know what they're thinking? This is like a repeat, just like during Alexander's time. This is like, when are we ever going to get out of this? They were hopeless, except for a few select people. Because they looked at the current events of the world and the current state of their own hearts or their situation, I should say, circumstances, and they refused to say this is all there is. The majority actually said this is all there is. You know what they did in the time of the Maccabees before the Lord came? There were people known as zealots. They were kind of vigilante 
people. They said, if we don't do something about this, this is never going to change. So an old man and his sons went and just began to fight physically. And they killed people. They also had people killed. But look at the mindset. When people get hopeless, they get desperate. They begin to take matters in their own hands. We can do a lot of things that are quite outside of God's will. But the one who has the promise will know, okay, I don't need to help God in any way. What he wants me to do is trust him. And as I trust him, he will unfold what he said because I know he loves me. He's not going to lie to me. So this period of stillness and darkness and no movement, the whole nation had the Torah, right? When you go to synagogues, you may see them carry that Torah, a copy of it, and they'll kiss it. And it'll be so sacred, they'll hold it up. You see the vestments of the rabbis and everybody will see him kiss that. You know, and they walk through up and down the aisle. Well, that's a good thing because they respect the word. But external respect doesn't mean there's an internal connect, right? Until we believe it, it does no good to kiss it. Not unlike people have Bibles in their cars and their homes. You know, they may have multiple copies or they keep it on the dashboard for good luck. And they'll kiss it and they'll make their sign of the cross when they pass by a church. And you know what they're saying is, I, I have a feeling that this there's a meaning to this. But they don't really know the God they, they think they know. When we take the scriptures and we say, Lord, you want me to read the Bible like I've never read it before? Not just give that kind of external respect, but Lord, when did I ever go through the scriptures myself and look at 300 plus prophecies specifically about your son? How many of you have done that? No one? Oh, my brother's done that. Praise God. You know, I'm saying this is... um, This is our heritage, but it's not just a heritage that, you know, this is what we do. It actually matters because as you read it, you're going to get to see how God is faithful. And you get to know that I can trust him. Because even if man forgets, for 4,000 years, God didn't forget. And he never forgets. And what he said he'll do, he does. So, as believers, without that Jewish history and background which is actually our heritage because we're from Abraham by faith. Christ came through Abraham. If we don't have that understanding, you know what our joy will be like? Excitement that it's the Christmas time and I hear the carols and I see family and it's all good. But God is not happy with that only. He wants to know who remembers what I promised And every generation, if you look at your own genealogy, genealogy, wherever you're from, originally, and if you can go and find archives somewhere, and you see, you know what? So this is my great-grandfather. I never knew. You know how it feels to discover your lineage, especially if somebody great is in your line? I didn't know that he was the mayor of such and such a place. Or he was the king, you know, when they had kings. Or, Or he was a noted prophet or a poet, or whatever. And you get interested in our heritage. And then suppose you go back even a few centuries, and you find somebody great, 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 all the way up in like the 16th century. 
And you're actually able to see, I never knew that these are my people and look how hard they worked. It's interesting, but it's far more interesting and effective in our lives when we look at God's prophecies about our lineage in Christ. So when you look at the generations, we see, okay, so this is what God was up to when he prophesied the coming Messiah during the time of Habakkuk, right? Or the time of uh, even Jonah. We're able to follow that even the times when it looks like there's no mention of it, God's still working. This is exactly what God is communicating now. We need to remember all that God has spoken and study it. The Bible says study to show yourselves diligent before the Lord. A workman that rightly divides the word of truth, the word of God. It means apply yourself. It means take the word and see if God has given all these things about Christmas and I don't even know about it or I don't see the connection, then I'm just taking all of that treasure and the power of God and as a result, when I don't go into it, my world is very unstable, really. Because you know what? If Christmas season, something bad happens in the world or in my life, suddenly I feel really bad and I feel like I lost my balance. And even though we're human and it can happen, the recovery is in the word and the promise of God. If we don't have the word of God so strongly anchored in our lives, we'll be easily swayed by every wind and wave that comes. But if I read the word and I say, okay, this is Christmas. This is what the world does and this is what the church does. But what does God want me to do? God came through that virgin, chaste young woman, Mary. You know what the angels said and the prophets say and the gospel writers? Son of who? David. As you read, you know, when you go to school, they teach you critical thinking, hopefully. Supposed to. You know, they have Venn diagrams, comparative thinking, contrast, right? Essays. What are they trying to do? They don't want you to read and just regurgitate the facts. They want you to step in and begin to pick up the motivations of the writer. Why did he say this, right? Persuasive essay and all these things. And then when you compare contrast, it actually helps you in life because now when you read that deed, if you bought a house or whatever it is, you know, property, or when you, when you go to um, buy a car or whatever it is, you're able to look at the fine print, hopefully, and also you don't take things face value. You actually look deeper and try to understand what is actually going on here. Am I going to lose or I'm going to gain? That's critically looking at it in a positive sense. When it comes to the scriptures, many times it's like we just take it for granted. And we, we read it as if it's a tale with some motivational things. But it's the word of God that Jesus said is so unique that even if heaven, all the planets come down, 
and earth disappears, he said, you know what's going to be left behind? What they're going to discover? My word is still going to be there. So this word that we see, whether it's in a digital format or in a paper format, in ink, it's the word that creates life. And the word that will never pass away. So much so that Jesus is called the word of God. He is the exact representation of the invisible God. Boom, right there in our universe. And he manifested, you know, instead of like a meteor hitting the earth, God could have done that. He could have said, Jesus, go. And all of a sudden, boom, there's an explosion. You see fireworks and everybody knows Jesus has come. But you know how he chose to come? In a humble way. In a humble way. No fanfare. No great pomp and stance. And who are the people who were able to discover him? It's interesting. Those who are humble. Not the proud. Everything God does is to show us his nature. And if I can read between the lines sometimes. If I can say, Lord, here I am. You say your name to the Lord. This is me, Lord. You made me, created me in my mother's womb at such and such a day and such and such an year. And you came to me at a certain point in my life. So I got born again. And for me, I have a place in heaven. But since then, you've shown me you have so much you want to do in my life until I get to heaven. And that period that I've come to faith and before I enter heaven... There are tremendous world-changing things you want to do in my life. Notice the connection. It's not in a corner. The Lord says, let the light so shine before men. Let the whole world see the light that's in you. And how do they see that? By the good works. But God has to work it in me. If I don't have a proper connection with the prophecies of God, first of all, what's already written, you know what? I won't even know how to understand the prophecies God speaks to me in my life. Doesn't that make sense? Why should God give me revelation of prophecies in my life individually if I totally ignore all the prophecies he's already broken? Uh, spoken, I should say. And he's never broken them. All the prophecies. God gives these prophecies not only to bring forth the manifestation of what is promised. We you know another thing happens. Our faith grows as we keep hearing this. And when God comes to you, whether through a prophet, whether through a dream, whether through a vision, whether through whatever means, and you know he's talking to you. God is saying, you know, this time next year, this is what's going to happen in your life. That's very specific. How will I ever have faith? If I've never believed what God already has spoken. You know how it will be? Practically speaking. It will be like something hanging in the air. Nothing attached to it. So I'm like in limbo. I'm thinking well. That sounds great. But I, I don't know how to connect it with my life. There's no faith. But if I have in my life the precedent set. I have been going through Genesis. I've noted what God has spoken to the human race. And to Abraham. To Israel. And to the church of which I'm a part. 
I'm able to follow this divine thread. And as I do that, and I go to Exodus and Leviticus and every book, I'm able to see how God is faithful and how God can be trusted. So when a genuine prophet comes to me, or God speaks to me directly through divine dream or vision, he still does that today. I'm able to instantly say, like Mary said to the angel Gabriel, be it unto me according to your word. You know what God will do? He'll say, you trust me? Even though it looks like an incubation, incubation period, it's dark, everything's opposite, I'm going to perform what I said. God is not obligated to perform anything he said as said to individuals. We've learned this in church. Unless we believe. You know what? Once you believe, he obligates himself to do it. How can you get God into a contract, into a covenant to know that, Lord, you said it and I'm going to hold you to it. He says, do that to me. Come. Invite me to make a contract with you that I will do what I said, provided you do what I told you to do which is believe me, believe what I've spoken. When we read the scriptures and we see that this Jesus appeared at the appointed time, that means God has that calendar in our lives also. There's an appointed time, but you know what will happen before the appointed time? Satan has a clue many times of the general time when God's about to do something in our lives. And that's when he will try one of his many dirty tricks, which are as follows. Number one, bring fear and despair because things look so opposite in my life. I don't even think it's worth trusting this promise. Because obviously, this is what he says, obviously God doesn't care about you because look, if he did, why didn't he change it right away? And people give into that right away. They go on, a, on a, a ride with the devil because they don't believe. And then his, another trick is bring a counterfeit plan into your life. Just when you're about to embark upon God's very word, heaven's plan for your life on a given specific day, Satan will bring the counterfeit from the side. If we don't know the word about how every time God prophesied about the Messiah, how Satan brought people to crush the hopes of God's people, tell them, see, God doesn't care, you're not worth it. But the ones who were studious, they went back to the prayer closet. They took the word of God and they said, Lord, I'm going to search the scriptures diligently see why this has not happened yet. If I can say, Lord, it hasn't happened because it's not your time, that's one thing. But if I come to the conclusion by reading the scriptures and looking at my life, Lord, the reason it hasn't happened is because I haven't aligned myself with your will. I'm still iffy about trusting you completely. And when it looks good, I will trust you. When it doesn't, I kind of do my own thing. How many of us have been there? When it doesn't seem like it's going to happen, we get this syndrome that, Lord, I have to do something right now. But God on purpose wants to see who will stay within the bounds that he's laid down. And then he will perform that good thing. These things that are being shared have great implications. 
you know, somebody's a minister of the gospel and God relocates that person and all the ministry that that individual had in another part of the world, there's nothing left. There's nothing. And you're in a cocoon period and you're thinking, Lord, all over again, I have to wait again? Yes. Because God is trying to birth something greater than before. Amen? Something even greater. John the Baptist came. He was a great man. So much so that, as you know, the Lord Jesus himself said, there is not a prophet born among women greater than he. He was a burning light. That's what Jesus said. When everything was so dark, Rome was just oppressing the people. And everybody said, okay, i got to pay taxes to this guy. And that soldier is going to make me, compel me to walk another mile. I had nothing I can do about it. This is oppression. They just set up their garrisons in different locations. Hey, you, Jew, come over here. Carry this stuff over there. But, but, there's no buts. Do it. That's oppression. Not to mention the heavy taxation and all these things and never knowing the mercurial mood of people like Herod, people like Pontius Pilate. They can just do whatever they want. And they were brutal many times. So in this situation of a people that think, oh no, not again. This is like Egypt all over again. Our forefathers were under hard taskmasters being whipped and then giving a quota that they could not meet with less material. And in fact, no material. When did that happen? After God spoke through Moses. And the people said, why did you even come here? Why did you even tell us what God said? Because since you spoke, things are getting worse. But God knew all that. That's where those who have faith will step up and say, but God spoke this. And because he loves me, I know this is not a result of him doing it. It's the devil trying to stop me from trusting him. Once we understand that, we can continue to trust him. But these people, when they came out and they saw the Red Sea parted, they're all on fire for God. Hallelujah, they're dancing, tambourines and everything. And then no water. Where's that Moses? You know, they want to stone him. And Moses is like, ay, yeah, yeah, this is what's going to be. This is the beginning of the journey, you know. Like Pilgrim's Project, right? If the beginning is like this, what shall the end be? Who said that? That pliable, right? They're very wishy-washy. But faith is trusting God. So it was Egypt all over again. They said, God, what is going on? Everybody has their head hanging low. Even the rabbis when the soldiers are there. Can you imagine that oppression? In the midst of that, you have this bright burning light. John the Baptist. He is fearless. It's like he doesn't even see Rome existing. That's the way he was acting. Because even the soldiers were afraid of him. He's a man with camels, a leather belt. No weapon. He's eating this food, strange food, and he's by himself in the desert. But people came, including the soldiers, including the religious leaders. So he was a bright light. God showed what he can do in the darkness. Amen? In the midst of national oppression, God is able to raise up a deliverer, but he was not the deliverer. So my point is, something comes about in our lives 
that gives us hope. But God says, I have more hope to give you. Way more than what you experienced. And that's when Jesus came. When Jesus came, he opened blind eyes. They didn't see this. It was way back when, in the time of people like Elisha, that was like the 8th century, 9th century BC. All they knew was heavy taxation, oppression, and I have my rabbis. And they keep reading it like it's a dead book. That's what happened. They go to the synagogue, they do whatever they have to do, but everybody was down in the dumps because they didn't have faith. Except for a few people. An old man named Simeon or Simon. Old lady named Anna. And you had the shepherds. You had uh, Mary and Joseph. You see this element of faith even in Joseph and Mary. Even though for Mary, it was an unprecedented, never to be repeated miracle. That was unique in all of the existence of the universe. Never happened before, never will. Because it was a one-time incarnation. And a one-time going to the cross from that same baby, Jesus Christ, who became a man to take our sins on the cross. But notice the faith that they had. They believed. They believed. When the angel spoke to Joseph, you know how many people may hear from God, but they don't know his God? God is actually trying to speak, but they don't know how to discern the voice. Not unlike little Samuel during the time of Eli. I'm not familiar with it. Why? Because I'm not reading the scriptures. And I'm not putting my faith in God. I'm not expecting anything. So when it happens, people discount a lot of times when God is speaking and they just go on their merry old way as if I don't have God to guide me. On paper, I have God, but in my heart, I am pretty much on my own. I'll take it as, as it comes. That's the world. The world says, I don't know tomorrow, so I'll take it as it comes. They don't have God with them. But Christians shouldn't be like that. Christians should know. In the scriptures, this is what God has spoken. This is how he's so faithful. If I was in the family of one of the prophets, and my dad came home, a prophet, you know, and said, this is what God revealed to me. I don't see it in current events. I don't see it anywhere. But this is new. Or is it new? There's a difference. If I'm a student of the scriptures... When I hear it, I'll be able to recognize this is a development. It's a development. It's not brand new. It's something continuing because I know what God did before. If I don't have that in my life, the word of God, how God fulfilled all the messianic prophecies about the advent, the first advent of Jesus Christ. Christmas is nothing more than a good time with family and food and Christian music even. Christian events, and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it because it's time off, time for good food, and friends and family. And, you know, I can be thankful to God, but do you see how impoverished that is, apart from being in the Word? Because this is what gives us life. Not family, not food, not festivities. When I have this as the foundation, now, my gratefulness to God and my faith will have a firm uh, reference point where it's an eternal thing. And I will be looking, Lord, how do you want to use my life this Christmas? Isn't that different? 
Instead of saying, Lord, what are you going to give me? And presents, what am I going to get? Lord, what do you want me to give during Christmas? What do you want me to do for you? After all, it's your birthday. For years, our family has not given gifts or received gifts. It's not for everybody, just for us. It's not a lot. But one day, years ago, it just dawned on me that it's Jesus' birthday. And I thought to myself, and Pastor Kerva had the same thing. And then we spoke to our children. We're all on the same page. And think about it. Uh, say it's Ed's birthday over there. Happy birthday, Ed. Ed said, I didn't know it was my birthday. Thank you. All these gifts are over there. And Ed says, this is wonderful. Debbie, look. All these gifts. And uh, nobody says happy birthday except one person. And while he's looking at his gifts, he looks at Jeff and Jenny, and Jeff and Jenny are giving each other gifts. It's his birthday. Christopher and Christina are giving each other. Everybody's giving gifts to each other. Ed's like, that's cool. You know, it's, you know, you can have fun too. But he goes home and says, I don't, I don't get it. It's my birthday. Debbie said, no, don't be selfish. No. She'll say, yes, it is your birthday. I don't know. Maybe it's a new thing they're doing in church. But you have that feeling. Wait a minute. It's my birthday, but it's not that I don't want them to be happy and get gifts, but it just takes the edge off of the fact that it's my day. They have their birthdays, you know. I don't want, I'm not going to exchange gifts on their birthday with anybody else. I just thought about that, you know. It's his birthday, and here we are excited. What am I going to get? What am I going to get you? And let's get that sale, and everybody's happy. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Then we go away and enjoy. But I thought, you know, how can I give God something on his birthday? He's in heaven. But we can go to those who are the least. Those who are poor, need clothing, shut up. They can't get out. Because the Lord says, inasmuch as you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you're doing it to me. Me. So we started that in our family. That and we told everyone, if you... Make the tragic mistake of giving us something on Christmas. It's not tragic, but we're just going to pass it on to somebody that's in need. No offense, you know. But in our family too, we don't, because we think, you know, you have 364 days to give each other stuff. On that day, even if we say, but you don't understand, it's joy, love, and I want to give from my heart. And I'm trying to show God's love. To who? To people who can give back to you, usually. And the Lord said another thing. When you give a dinner, Jesus said this. When you give a dinner, don't invite people who can pay you back. You come to my house, then the person says, you come to my house. He said, rather go to the maimed, the crippled. Go to the blind. Go to the people who cannot pay you back. So when we read the scriptures, even though traditionally we have certain things in place, again, it's just something we do. Nobody needs to copy it. But I'm just talking about the motivation. And the principle I want to convey is, even when we give gifts to each other, you know, as people do in families, think about what I'm doing for him on his day. Am I so grateful that he came into my world 
to give me real hope and real joy and real peace and real uh, a plan for my life and a plan for everybody in this world to escape the oppression of that cruel enemy, the devil. What am I doing for the Lord? And the more we focus on that, the more the real joy will come in. And you know what? Even if you get something that you don't like for Christmas, you'll be so grateful, Lord. Somebody thought about me, and even though it's not what I wanted, I don't deserve anything anyway to begin with, right? God's shown us mercy when we didn't deserve it. So really, it's something for the children too. You know, they, they get to grow up understanding that um, I'm supposed to receive from the Lord and then give. And I want to do it especially on his day. But Christmas is about receiving from God and then giving to others. And we can do it in many ways. But the heart change that happens when we look at it this way is tremendous. That's God showing. He was showing that when you do something for the Lord, you never get shortchanged. The devil will make you think, that, oh, now it's minus, you know. Maybe a spouse says, what are you doing? You say, I felt like giving, and I, but look, we're empty now. That's when you have to say, now, now, don't be unbelieving. God's going to come through. Sometimes we may, but that's part of the process, isn't it? When we learn to walk with God, we get this joy. We make it all bubbly and we do something maybe a little impulsive. But even when we do it, if our heart is in the right place, God will come through to honor that. And you know what we do as we walk with God? We become less and less impulsive. We get more and more tuned to the Spirit of God. So we don't just randomly go giving everywhere. That's not God's design at all. But we'll be able to hear God. The Lord, the Lord says, I want you to do this now. And we know 100% this is God. And we have that concrete faith. And you know what's going to happen? Your close one, your loved one who doesn't have that faith or that experience, they'll be watching. They'll be tracking this. And then when God blesses, you'll be able to say, see, I told you. And then they'll begin to actually understand this is how it operates. God can never be outgiven. And we can never be shortchanged if we do things God's way. Out of our heart. From our hearts full of love. But just as we conclude, that prophecy... In the scriptures about the Messiah, connecting to prophecies in your life, there will be a period of, you know, we talk about tests. It's not just external attacks, but just a stillness and a darkness that things aren't moving. How long do I have to wait? But I want to reassure you, God has a tremendous plan to use your life as Christians. Many times when we evangelize, we tell people, hey, believe in Jesus. Why? He has a plan for your life. Somehow, as believers, once we step into that zone, it's like we're at the doorstep for many years. We never press in to go further and say, Lord, I want to see the plan unfold. See the difference? I want to see the plan unfold. Lord, I'm going to to be watching every word you say, and I'm going to believe. Not just hear it, but I'm going to... When it says Mary took these things and she put it deep into her heart... It also says she pondered over them. We begin to incubate that word even when we're in the incubation period. That is how you live a life connected to God. You read the scriptures like never before and you you take off that 
or that feeling that, you know, theologian or pastor or evangelist or whatever. No, I'm, I'm just a believer. I'm a believer in God's word. And I'm going to read exactly what God said. I'm going to be familiar with God's word to me through this. When God sees you're diligent in reading the word for you, not for anybody else. And you do shake yourself and you get on your knees when you don't feel like it because you love God. And you know you owe him all the gratitude. You forego pleasures to put God first. God sees all of that. You know what he's going to do? He's going to take you into another zone where you begin to hear God speak. You begin to have visions and dreams. And then when the word of God comes through a prophet, you'll be able to know this is the voice of God. Even when the devil will say, no, it's not, you'll be able to know the difference. That'll put you on that radar and you have heaven's compass and everything that comes in your life, every offer, every invitation, every conversation, you'll be able to know, I can really walk with God. This is not about walking on eggshells, but this is being on that straight and narrow path. And as you do, you're going to see blessings of God come at appointed intervals. and Nobody can stop it. Amen. No one can stop the blessing of God upon the lives of his people. Ultimately, except his people. But if we say, Lord, I learned something. Or this is reinforced to me today. I'm going to make it my business to go through the word of God. Especially as we're coming up on Christmas. I want to know what God said about Jesus all through the centuries. It's going to give you not just an appreciation for the story, but your faith is going to rise, guarantee you. If you read it with faith, your faith will rise again. And if you understand, also, this is how dark it was. And God kept on speaking. Why? That's like my life too. When certain things aren't moving, I don't understand. It's like I'm waiting and waiting. And when is the big break going to come, God? My faith and hope will be anchored on God's character that he came through. He came through that very Christmas day by sending his son. Everything is, can you imagine the joy in heaven and the, the, the eagerness of the father? Exactly what I've been telling them all the time, all this time. Today is the day. And that's what God wants to do for us. We believe God and say, Lord, in my life, everything has been mapped out, Lord. Would you give me ears to hear and eyes to see exactly how you want to unfold this in my life? I'm not missing your will, the best for anything in the world. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads and pray. Shall we stand as we pray and we're going to worship? If you're able to stand, if not, that's fine. Oh, thank you, God. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Thank you, Lord. It was an obscure town, tiny town, even notorious in some sense, Lord. Nobody thought the Messiah is going to be born there. Nobody thought he's going to be raised in a place called Nazareth. Where Nathaniel said, can anything good come from there? Why did you choose these places, Lord? To show us you can do anything. Hallelujah. Anywhere, anytime, in anyone's life. Hallelujah. God is that big. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving us hope. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us faith, Lord. You mean to take us deeper, Lord. You mean to open eyes and ears, Lord, that are blind and deaf spiritually, to experience the supernatural, Lord, to walk with you, to have a joy that cannot be extinguished. Hallelujah. This Christmas season will also be people of love to see who we can give to who cannot pay us back. Hallelujah.
Because this is exactly what you did. You gave to us who can never pay you back, Lord. For eternity, we can never pay you back. But Lord, you take our heart, our hearts full of faith and gratitude. We bless your holy name, Father. Help us to worship you with this word and all else that you're going to speak, burning alive in our hearts so that we can be more like Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. And we can never be shortchanged if we do things God's way, out of our heart, from our hearts full of love. But just as we conclude, that prophecy in the scriptures about the Messiah, connecting to prophecies in your life, there will be a period of, you know, we talk about tests. It's not just external attacks, but a just a stillness and a darkness that things aren't moving. How long do I have to wait? And I want to reassure you, God has a tremendous plan to use your life as Christians. Many times when we evangelize, we tell people, hey, believe in Jesus. Why? He has a plan for your life. Somehow, as believers, once we step into that zone, it's like we're at the doorstep for many years. We never press in to go further and say, Lord, I want to see the plan unfold. See the difference? I want to see the plan unfold. Lord, I'm I'm going to be watching Every word you say, and I'm going to believe, not just hear it, but I'm going to, it, when it says Mary took these things and she put it deep into her heart, it also says she pondered over them. We begin to incubate that word even when we're in the incubation period. That is how you live a life connected to God. You read the scriptures like never before, and you, you take off that, or that feeling that, you know, theologian or a pastor or evangelist or whatever. No, I'm, I'm just a believer. I'm a believer in God's word. And I'm going to read exactly what God said. I'm going to be familiar with God's word to me through this. When God sees you're diligent in reading the word for you, not for anybody else. And you do shake yourself and you get on your knees when you don't feel like it. Because you love God and you know you owe him all the gratitude. You forego pleasures to put God first. God sees all of that. You know what he's going to do? He's going to take you into another zone where you begin to hear God speak. You begin to have visions and dreams. And then when the word of God comes through a prophet, you'll be able to know this is the voice of God. Even when the devil will say, no, it's not, you'll be able to know the difference. That'll put you on that radar and you have heaven's compass And everything that comes in your life, every offer, every invitation, every conversation, you'll be able to know, I can really walk with God. This is not about walking on eggshells, but this is being on that straight and narrow path. And as you do, you're going to see blessings of God come at appointed intervals. Nobody can stop it. Amen? No one can stop the blessing of God upon the lives of his people. Ultimately, except his people. But if we say, Lord, I learned something, or this is reinforced to me today, I'm going to make it my business to go through the word of God, especially as we're coming up on Christmas. I want to know what God said about Jesus all through the centuries. It's going to give you not just an appreciation for the story, but your faith is going to rise, guarantee you. If you read it with faith your faith will rise again. 
And if you understand, also, this is how dark it was. And God kept on speaking. Why? That's like my life too. When certain things aren't moving, I don't understand. It's like I'm waiting and waiting. And when is the big break going to come, God? My faith and hope will be anchored on God's character. That he came through. He came through that very Christmas day. By sending his son. Everything. Can you imagine the joy in heaven? And the, the, the eagerness of the father. Exactly what I've been telling them all the time. All this time. Today is the day. And that's what God wants to do for us. We believe God and say, Lord, in my life, everything has been mapped out, Lord. Would you give me ears to hear and eyes to see exactly how you want to unfold this in my life? I'm not missing your will, the best for anything in the world. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads and pray. Shall we stand as we pray and we're going to worship? If you're able to stand, if not, that's fine. Oh, thank you, God. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Thank you, Lord. It was an obscure town, tiny town, even notorious in some sense, Lord. Nobody thought the Messiah is going to be born there. Nobody thought he's going to be raised in a place called Nazareth, where Nathaniel said, can anything good come from there? Why did you choose these places, Lord? To show us you can do anything. Hallelujah. Anywhere, anytime, in anyone's life. Hallelujah. God is that big. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving us hope. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us faith, Lord. You mean to take us deeper, Lord. You mean to open eyes and ears, Lord, that are blind and deaf spiritually to experience the supernatural, Lord, to walk with you, to have a joy that cannot be extinguished. Hallelujah. This Christmas season will also be people of love to see who we can give to who cannot pay us back. Hallelujah. Because this is exactly what you did. You gave to us who can never pay you back, Lord. For eternity, we can never pay you back. But Lord, you take our heart, our hearts full of faith and gratitude. We bless your holy name, Father. Help us to worship you with this word and all us that you're going to speak, burning alive in our hearts so that we can be more like Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.